Hello to everyone who comes across this episode of the podcast. Thanks very much for clicking on this one and spending your time studying the Bible with me. It is absolutely wild to me how amazing this modern age is because it's it's so easy for an everyday person like me to share their thoughts and post things that they hope might be helpful and good. And I'm really, really thankful for that opportunity to try. But with that ease comes a certain oversaturation. There's just so much content to click on. And uh, the fact that you're here listening to this is amazing. And it's something that I've prayed about. And I'm just so grateful to God for the opportunity and to you for listening in. It's not a small thing, so don't sell yourself short. I really do appreciate it. Um, That being said, if you do find this helpful or encouraging or insightful in any way, I would really appreciate your support in sharing this on whatever social media platforms you prefer um, or just sending it to individuals. That's also great. Um, This part of it isn't the most important to me. I really do believe that God is the one that provides the increase, but it, it can't hurt to ask and show that I believe in the project, truth be told, enough to ask people to share it. So thanks very much for those of you listening and extra thanks to those that will take a step out of their comfort zone potentially and share this around. So before we get started, I wanted to mention um, that to be totally honest, today I was really struggling with the idea of sitting down and studying and writing out brief notes and recording and editing an episode. It's something that I really enjoy doing a lot, but it's also really hard not to feel like a bit of a fraud sometimes. Um, Just this past few weeks, I've been reading some really good books I've been listening to some great podcasts. I went to go see Frank Turek speak um, a little over a week ago, and that was awesome. And I've heard some great sermons in church. And so everything that I've consumed lately, or at least every theological thing that I've consumed, has been very convicting and just really, really top quality. And on top of that, every theological question I've asked myself or every question that's been asked of me from someone else looking for answers to things has been just extensive and deep and there's just been no simple answers to anything lately. And so this mix of seeing the expert content that is out there along with my own inability to answer certain questions has just kind of left me feeling very powerless and very ignorant. And I know they say that the more you learn, the more you're supposed to figure out how little you actually know. So I'm not sure if that's what's going on or not, but lately I've just genuinely felt like I know so little and am so severely underqualified to share any truth from the Bible. And of course, to an extent, we all are. I mean, it is it is the Bible. It's God's word. And God is just an all-encompassing, powerful, amazing being. And we're just humans. We are just really not worthy to be even talking about this stuff. And it's amazing that he lets us, but... Yeah, so all of us, to an extent, are are underqualified. Um, I'm not going to deny that I've got some qualifications, uh, but with how much information there is and how little of it I actually have a good idea of, it can it can kind of sometimes feel arrogant to assume that anything that I have to say is is worth anything. Which uh, goes back again to just thanking you guys for listening, and I hope and pray that I'm not going to lead anyone off or say anything that's often anyway. I really do pray about that a lot. So, um, but anyway, so in this state, I started at least looking into what I might talk about. If I were to work up the nerve to record something, um, what would be the subject? And the thing that hit me 
actually was exactly what I needed to combat what I've been feeling about all of this. And it's also something that I've wanted to talk about for a while now. So it was, it was kind of perfect. Um, so I really hope you find this beneficial. Um, if any of you are doubting yourself or doubting some of your abilities, um, just want you to know that is incredibly common. I get that way all the time. I am far from an expert on anything, but I hope that you find my insights worth something. And I pray that God works through me, um, just to offer something of value. So for today, what I'd like to do is read through a few biblical stories that aren't necessarily disconnected. It's hard to say that these stories are disconnected in the sense that it is all contained in the Bible and they are all works of God. Um, but I want to show you a way that they connect in my minds. And that's going to, that's going to be our ultimate takeaway today is how connected these stories are. And I think it should show us just how incredibly powerful God is. And, um, that's, that's my goal for the day. I think, I think it's always good to recall how powerful and awesome he is. Um, I think it's the same reason the prayer that Jesus outlined for his disciples starts out with our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I think that's kind of what we're going to get at today. Um, not necessarily talking about that prayer, but just gaining a certain reverence or estimation of God and his abilities. And I think this is a great cure for a lot of things. Um, Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so to just kind of put God in proper context in comparison with us, it can be very humbling um, to see just how much we don't measure up. But I think if we do it appropriately, it can really, really be um, a great cure for a lot of things as well. And like Proverbs says, an appropriate fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So the first account I want to read through is in Genesis 1. So Genesis 1, remember overall, we're going to be looking at examples of the power of God. Um, this will be the first lesson we start with, and it'll also be the one we come back to at the end. But please bear in mind, as we go through each of these accounts, they might seem a little bit disjointed, but I promise that at the end, um, they are all very, very much connected. So bear with me. But Genesis 1, just starting at the very beginning, in verse 1, we're just going to read the chapter because I really think it's worthwhile. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. I'm going to stop right there. There's this incredible video. This is a little bit unrelated to what we're talking about today. Um, I, it's kind of related, actually. I can see a connection, but there's this incredible video on YouTube of um, the first astronauts that were able to see the earth um, from the other side of the moon. And as they watched the earth come up over the landscape of the moon, over that horizon for the first time, they were supposed to radio transmit back to earth. And they felt this incredible sense of awe and reverence for what they were watching. And they decided to read Genesis chapter one. And one at a time, they just took turns reading it. And so there's this incredible video that you can hear them reading it as you see the earth come up over the moon. And every time I see that video, I tear up because it is just so incredible that those words were spoken for the first time from God's perspective, looking down onto the earth. And those words hadn't been spoken from that perspective uh, up until those astronauts in that space shuttle were just led to do this awesome thing in reading Genesis 1. So check out that video. I think it's really, really cool. But anyways, we're going to keep on reading. Then God said, let there be light. 
and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters he called seas and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seeds and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons, and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth, and to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then God said, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created sea creatures and every living thing that moves, with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth a living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Then God saw everything that he made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. I know that that is a lot of text, an obnoxious amount of text to be reading for a podcast. 
But if we're going to be talking about the greatness and the awesomeness of God and the power of God, I think there really isn't a better way to start than Genesis 1, just going over the extent to which God made everything. Um, I think it displays God's power in such an awesome way. And I think there's a reason the Bible starts out with that. You know, the Lord's Prayer starts off with hallowing God's name. The beginning of wisdom uh, starts off with the fear of the Lord. And the entire Word of God starts off with a chapter that kind of puts us in that headspace. And like I said, we're going to come back to that example in just a little bit. But I think it sets the tone for the whole thing. And then later I'll come back and draw uh, some conclusions from what we just read. So the next section I'm going to read is quite a bit shorter. Actually, all the rest of the sections I'm going to read upcoming are quite a bit shorter. Um, but I'm going to read from John 11, starting in verse 38. And this is after Lazarus has died and Jesus is coming to resurrect him. In verse 38, it says, Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. I think this is interesting. Um, I've read in a few things that the, like ancient Judaism had this belief that the spirit of a man hovered over a man for three days. And it's interesting that Christ, just before this time, um, tarries for a little while and doesn't come immediately to the tomb. I think it's because he knew he was going to resurrect Lazarus. And it's just interesting that he waited just enough time that even this ancient Jewish thought of like, well, maybe it wasn't Christ. Maybe it was, or maybe it wasn't Jesus. Maybe it was just the spirit hovering over Lazarus and that allowed for him to be alive. But here Martha says, it's been four days. There's going to be a smell. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Remember, these people that were standing around, including Martha and Mary, were pretty skeptical about what Jesus was doing here. Um, Jesus wept not only for Lazarus's death, um, but I think also for the lack of faith in the people around him at this time. And that was that was just before this part. So it says in verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So that's our second section. Um, pretty awesome display of God's power over death itself. Um, and again, I'm going to draw some conclusions from that in just a little bit. But again, we're just going through certain accounts of God's incredible power. And then for our third example, this is actually the one that I started reading through that made me think of this whole topic in general. Um, we're going to go to Mark chapter 7. And in Mark 7, we're going to start reading in verse 31. It says here, Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. So the Decapolis is primarily Gentiles. Um, not that there might not have been some Jews there, but primarily Gentiles in this area. And it wasn't a place many Jews wanted to go. In verse 32, it says, There are some people, or there some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. 
He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephathah, which means be opened. This is an Aramaic term. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So here we see an awesome display of God's power over inability or human suffering and lack. And I think this can be encouraging as well, but this is also the part where we're going to start drawing some threads together from all of these stories. Because I would like to ask, this is the question I had that made me think of this whole thing. When he is speaking to this deaf mute and he says the word ephathah, which means be opened, who is he talking to? The man is deaf. He can't hear him. He can't obey. He cannot be opened just by sheer fact of his own will. So who was God commanding to be opened? What was he commanding in this section? I think this is a question that we need to ask because it clearly could not have been the man that had some measure of ability to obey anything that God commanded in this moment. So God did not require the ability of this man to hear instructions and follow anything to do this amazing work. Then if you go back to the story of Lazarus, Lazarus was dead. He could not have participated in this event. He could not have obeyed in this event. Um, He was not alive. So what could he do? Not only could he not hear, he couldn't move. He was not animate. He was just a body. And so Jesus did not require the obedience or the faith of this man, Lazarus, to do this amazing thing. He also didn't require the help of the faithful crowd because it says very plainly that they lacked faith and that much of what was done in this section was for the purpose of causing them to believe. And then so let's go back to Genesis, all the way back to that first story. God did not need anyone. He did not need any man on earth. There was no earth. There was no man to do this amazing thing. But if we notice in Genesis, after we read the whole thing, there are so many utterances of God all throughout. But there is never a section that says, God said this, and then he planned about it, and then he did this thing, and then he did that, and then he built this up a little bit, and then it was. You'll notice that it says this, God said, let there be light, and there was light. I think I heard it first from one of Tim Keller's books, and in one of his books, he said something so profound that I hadn't considered before. There's not two actions here. There's not God speaking and then him bringing something into existence. He speaks and it is. Reality always conforms to his will. His word is truth. But with us, he has given us a choice to follow him or not. So everything in the universe bends to his will. He says something and it is. But with us, he does not force us. He doesn't require anything from any of us to do great things, but he still asks for everything that we do have. And out of all of the things that God controls, speaks into existence, commands, you are the thing that he has chosen to participate with him in great things. We cannot do anything ourselves. We are just like, we're, we're a child asking for money from their parents to put it in the offering plate. That's not really an offering of the child, and yet in some way it is. We're like a, a like a burnt piece of toast 
on Mother's Day breakfast in bed when the bread, the electricity, the toaster, the bed, the child, all of it came from the parents, but the child still wants to offer something back. Uh, when I when I was a kid, I asked my dad if I could help him wash the car, and he said yes, and he, so, he showed me where the soap bucket was, and instead of getting a rag, I found a huge rock, and I dunked it in the soap, and I scraped the heck out of the side of our van, and my parents found me doing that, and they stopped me, and I'm sure they weren't thrilled with it, but it was also a story that they never got tired of telling, even to this day. They were so enthusiastic about me wanting to help, and that scratch on the van didn't ever escape their notice without them smiling and bringing up that story again. I participated in something. I participated poorly, inefficiently, unworthily, but I joined in, and my parents didn't need me, and as unhappy as my parents might have been in that moment, it gave them years of happiness afterwards. They still tell that story right now, and I'm 29 years old. So the next time that we feel worthless, which happens to me often enough, I think it's okay to understand this to a point we, of our own merit, do not have a lot to offer. Christ went to the cross, an innocent lamb without blemish, and Isaiah says that everything we offer back to him is filthy rags. Our very best is just not worth a lot at all. But God is incredibly powerful. And focusing on this can make us feel small, but in a really, really great way, rather than a detrimental way. Because as useless as we find ourselves to be, and how great we see God as being, really does something to leave us in awe of the fact that he did make us for a reason. He did choose us for something. He called us to participate in something awesome. And that we might even have a part to play in, in all of this, even if it's small. And even if we have a lot of failure along the way, he doesn't need us at all, but he wants us. And so I think all these stories really illustrate um, just how little we are necessary but I think if we realize how unnecessary we are, the fact that we are chosen means that much more. I'd like to end in one final account in Luke 19. Um, and this is the triumphal entry as Christ enters into Jerusalem. Starting in verse 37, though, it says, Then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. He could use the stones to accomplish the exact same thing. In another section of the gospel, he says that God could raise up stones as children of Abraham but he hasn't used stones because hopefully we're still willing to sing out and be grateful that he lets us be part of his work. Even if we sing poorly, even if we feel like we don't have a lot to offer, he still wants us. He still chose us. And even if he doesn't need us, that makes the fact that he chose us that much more important. So I hope this has been a benefit to you. Um, if ever you're feeling worthless or useless, um, it's okay because Christ died for you and ascribed immeasurable worth to you. So it's really not up to you or anyone else how much you're worth because God already paid so much. Everything is already 
only worth what someone will pay for it anyways. And God gave up everything for you because he wants something from you. And even if you feel like you can only do it poorly or you really don't have a lot to offer, you're not really sure what his plan is for you. That's okay because he knows what it is. He's a lot greater than us and I don't think he makes mistakes. So take courage, take comfort. And remember, it does not matter how poorly you think you will do at participating in God's plan. He's the one doing the work anyways. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. And so hopefully that can be encouraging for you. Thank you guys so much again for listening. I really do appreciate your time. Um, share, like, comment, rate this podcast on any of, any of the platforms. All of that is really, really appreciated. But mainly I just appreciate you spending your time going through the Bible with me. That really is one of the coolest things ever. So thanks again for the opportunity. Until next time, keep on reading your Bibles, keep on thinking critically about them, and keep on applying the truths that we learn here to your lives. Thanks, everyone.